Uh, like some of you, I imagine, uh, I have been to the Statue of Liberty uh, two or maybe three times in the course of my life. But of course, I have also seen it uh, many more times uh, than that while uh, visiting and driving in and around New York City, which I had the privilege of doing uh, several times a year when our girls were in college. And when I do see it, I often think of my maternal grandmother and the vivid description that she would give to us of the first time that she saw the statue when she was just 21 years old. And she arrived in America as an immigrant uh, on the SS Rotterdam, which pulled into New York Harbor on its way to uh, Ellis Island. Uh, after being preceded here about a year or so earlier by her new husband and the man who would one day become my grandfather. Um, by the way, it still kind of blows my mind that my grandmother got married when she was 19. Uh, but of course, the marriage only lasted for 74 years until she preceded him into uh, glory. But anyway, on that day, uh, she was a passenger in steerage, and so she was below deck when they pulled into uh, New York Harbor. And so she and her fellow passengers actually lined up single file behind uh, the portholes of the ship, and they took turns looking uh, out the window and up uh, to get their first glimpse at the Statue of Liberty. And, and she told us that when she finally saw it for the very first time, uh, she cried. Uh, I assume because it marked the end of a long voyage across the ocean, uh, far away from her homeland. Uh, it also marked uh, the pending reunion that she would have with the love of her life, and it would mark the new beginning uh, that she would have. That would be everything but easy, but would be uh, a wonderful and blessed life with him and with the two children that they would eventually have together, uh, one of which would become my mother and the other of which would become a, a Lutheran pastor. And somehow the statue just kind of brought all of that together for her, and it signaled uh, her welcome uh, to this country which, as you may know, was also captured uh, in the infamous words of the poet Emma Lazarus in her sonnet called The New Colossus, which was added to the statue about 20 years after it was originally dedicated. And it includes those remarkable words, give me your tired and poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed, to me, and I will lift my lamp beside the golden door. Powerful words, welcoming words, and not too bad to start up a sermon on the 4th of July. And yet even though the statue uh, represents immigration uh, for people like me for obvious reasons and thanks in part to Emma Lazarus, uh, there is something about that statue that uh, you really can't see when you go there. Most people have not seen it and many people don't even know about it. At the base of the statue, right above the pedestal, at the feet of Lady Liberty and surrounding her feet and uh, to some extent being hidden by the long robe that she wore are broken shackles and broken chains. 
That's because the statue, which was a gift from France, was given not to commemorate immigration, but rather the emancipation of slaves after the American Civil War, inspired by a French abolitionist whose name was Edouard de Laboulaye, who got his vision only a few months after the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. And so while the statue has come to represent immigration and welcome to our country, thanks in part to the words of the new Colossus, it actually was intended to stand for something much more powerful, and that something is freedom. Well, because uh, Independence Day uh, in America happens to fall on a Sunday this year, here we are on the 4th of July, the 245th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, as you and I give thanks to God for our nation, for the, the freedoms that have been fought for and won for us and that we enjoy in our country today. And like many of you, including those of you who have come to this country for freedom and for opportunity, and those of you who have served this uh, country or serve it today in the cause of freedom, uh, our family uh, is flying the flag on our front porch on this uh, Independence Day. But also because uh, July 4th happens to fall on a Sunday this year, this Sunday, like every Sunday, Christians of every land and of every nation are gathering to celebrate the victory of Jesus, you know, over sin and death by the power of his cross and, and his passion. And so today, uh, I also want to talk, in fact, primarily I want to talk about his freedom, the kind of freedom that he brings to us, and then exactly what it is that he wants you and me to do with our freedom as people who live in a place that our anthem refers to as the land of the free and the home of the brave, but that St. Paul refers to in his letter to the Philippians as citizens of heaven. Well, about halfway through uh, John chapter 8, as you heard uh, a moment ago, uh, Jesus addresses his listeners, and he tells his listeners that they are slaves. He calls them slaves to sin. And then he says to them, but if you hold on to my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if you want to know what he's talking about, uh, what truth he's referring to, what freedom he has in mind. All you have to do is wind your way all, back to, all the way back to the beginning of John chapter 8, uh, where you will find Jesus at the courts of the temple in the city of Jerusalem, and he is there proclaiming freedom by proclaiming forgiveness to a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, whose sin was punishable by death under the Jewish law. And to whom he said, much to the dismay of the keepers of that law, I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. So walk in the light of life. Because your shackles, the chains of your sin, the shackles of your past, your shame, are broken. And then he tells her what he wants her to do with her freedom when he says to her, 
go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. Now, in no way do I want to minimize the kind of freedom for which wars have been fought and on which this and many other nations claim to stand. But this kind of freedom, the freedom that Jesus brings, is more powerful than that. It is uh, more enduring than anything that any nation or anybody in the world could ever give to you. Because when you know the truth that you are free in Christ, that your sins are forgiven, that you belong to God, that you have status with God, that you are a child of God, that he accepts you and he welcomes you, then you do have something that no nation in this world can give you and no circumstance in your life can ever take away from you from you. And so, you know, I've known a lot of people who have everything that this world could ever give to them, but they're still slaves to sin. But I also stand in awe of people I know who have walked through all kinds of hell in their life, some of their own doing, and into the freedom and the only kind of it that endures forever and ever and just like this lady, this woman in John chapter 8, there are some things that, that God wants and expects us to do with our freedom. And you heard about some of them in the prophecy of Micah from the Old Testament and in the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians. For openers, God wants us to use our freedom to get along with each other. He wants us to use our freedom to support one another as sisters and brothers in the, in the human family, including the family of God. Paul says to the, the Galatians that if, if you keep, you know, biting each other and devouring each other, you're going to consume each other. And I think you may have noticed that we are living in a time where there is a lot of biting and consuming and devouring going on in this nation as we come to celebrate the 4th of July. And friends, that is an offense to God. The other thing he wants us to do is love our neighbors. Not just get along with each other, but love our neighbors. And last time I checked, you know, there wasn't an asterisk after the word neighbor. It does, it's not qualified in any way. He's just saying, love your neighbor. In fact, Paul says to the Galatians uh, that we should use our freedom, get this, to become slaves. How's that for a paradox? Slaves to our neighbor, instead of using it for self-indulgence, as we often do. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. What does that mean? It means that, that he makes us free by his cross and, and, and by his resurrection so that we can convey the freedom. Micah asks a rhetorical question. He puts it another way. When he says, what does God require of us but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? How do you convey freedom to somebody else? That's what you do. You do justice in this world. You love mercy. You walk humbly with your God. You, you love your neighbor. And then you tell them about the only kind of freedom that will endure forever that no nation can give us, but comes to us through the blood of the Lamb.
Now, I realize, you know, all of that is uh, obviously uh, easier said than done in our lives because as Martin Luther famously taught us on the basis of scripture, you know, every day you and I are saints and sinners at the same time, simultaneously. And what that means is that because nations are made up of people, the last time I checked, entire nations are also able to sin. And if you don't think that, then just read the Old Testament and you will see it uh, for yourself. Paul described himself that way in his letter uh, to the Romans. James says that out of the same mouth come blessings and curses simultaneously. And I know this is true because it's also the story of my life. You know, so I'm, I'm chosen, I'm saved, I'm a child of God, baptized in Christ. And I'm still a sinner every day in need of his transformation, his grace, the freedom that he brings to us. And we live in that tension. Statue of Liberty is a wonderful symbol of freedom and of welcome. But African Americans rarely used it as their symbol of freedom because bigotry and discrimination persisted after its dedication. The woman in John chapter 8, I think, at some point in her near-term future, did in fact sin again, maybe in some different way. But you see, that's exactly what we're doing here on this Independence Day. As people who need the forgiveness, the grace, the freedom that Jesus won for you and me, so that you and I are no longer slaves to sin, but we are free in him. And now we really can, through his church, by his spirit, with his people, on the strength and power of his word, use that freedom to do justice, to love mercy, to care for our neighbor without regard, without condition, to be a church that welcomes all people, and to proclaim the only kind of freedom that will endure forever and ever and ever. And so, you know, this 21-year-old woman who sailed into New York Harbor on an October day in the year 1923 and her husband and their two children they are all now resting in Christ why because the statue of liberty is actually the one behind me and today, on this 4th of July, I would encourage you to have your look at that one. And what it represents and means to you. From the one who came into your life and said, now you can walk away from the chains, the shackles have been broken. And you get to live a new life in the land of grace. And so today as we give thanks for our nation and we ask God for the guidance and the transformation that he knows we need, I hope that by God's grace you will know your truest, highest, and best kind of freedom 
every day of your life and that you will have the grace to go out and use that freedom so that his truth and his grace will abound more and more. People of every land and of every nation will come to know themselves as citizens of heaven. Have a happy fourth and God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.